As you may know, Pastor Mark is in Israel right now, safely there and enjoying his time there, I think. Pastor Megan is on a retreat with some women for a women's retreat, and I am left to preach the word for you guys, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. So you all know what day it is today, right? It's the fourth week of 90 Day Challenge. Yes, you're right. So, um, and as Ella said, we're going through the Gospels, all four Gospels, one chapter a day, and we're tackling two questions every day as we read that, that chapter. We're asking, what do I learn about Jesus, and what do I learn about being a disciple maker? And as we've been looking at these on Sundays, we've been and looking more closely at that second question about being a disciple maker. And our first Sunday, we looked at the, the question of uh, Jesus makes disciples who are intentional, disciples who live lives on purpose and purposefully accompany others to a deeper place with Jesus. And then the second week, Pastor Mark was vulnerable with us, and he shared about his own challenges being relational, and he gave us that, that convicting phrase, you're not as relational as you think you are. And then last week, we learned about how Jesus wants to make disciples who are unflappable, just like Jesus is unflappable. And I'm encouraged by that because just to see Jesus' patience with the original 12 disciples, I know that he can be patient with you and with me. Okay, so yes, right, uh, it is Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, I, you know, this week, this week, I want to look at Scripture and I want to look at, um, as we've been looking at the last seven uh, chapters in Matthew, I want to look at how Jesus is hospitable. So it's Super Bowl Sunday, and um, as you can see, I've got my Seattle Seahawks shirt on. It's very small, diminutive, not as blazing loud as some of your jerseys are. Uh, I thought I'd be, you know, dignified as the one preaching the word today. So I wore my nice, nice polo shirt. Um, so I, I collected some statistics on Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you guys might have heard some of this stuff. But for example, did you know that this day... America consumes more calories than any other day. Yes. I don't know if that's true or not. One of the counts I saw was everybody eats 1,200 calories per person while they're watching the Super Bowl. That's, I think it's more than that. Um, 4 million pounds of pretzels, 2.5 million pounds of nuts, 11 million pounds of chips, 4,000 tons of popcorn, 6. Uh, 69.6 million pounds of avocados will be used to make guacamole, and 1.23 billion chicken wings will be consumed. Ooh, I'm full already. I, I mean, wow. So now here's another statistic that I find really fascinating. Of all those people eating uh, during the Super Bowl, how many do you think are going to be watching the Super Bowl alone? Think about that. How many are going to be watching the Super Bowl alone? 20%, 30%? Well, it turns out about 45% of the people who are watching the Super Bowl watch it either by themselves or just with their immediate family. And one of the reasons why I find this interesting is because when we think about the Super Bowl and even when we watch commercials, you know, it's, it's, it's pitched to something that's a communal event. It's a social thing to do, right? You don't see a commercial with somebody just sitting in their chair all by themselves. You see a bunch of people on a couch throwing popcorn into the air and screaming together. Spencer Hutchins, you're not going to go to the Super Bowl alone, are you? No, I'm not. Exactly. He's going to have some friends with him. 
that's what we normally think of when we think about the Super Bowl is being with friends. But the reality is, is about 45% of us will not do that. And I would venture to say that the reason why that is is either because we weren't invited to go someone's house or we didn't invite others to come to our house. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? And that's what hospitality is, isn't it? Is, right? It's inviting people into your home. It's inviting people to come to your table. And to tell you the truth, I think as, as Americans, I don't, I don't know that we are really that good at hospitality. And I say as Americans because I, I learned this personally. Uh, when I was in seminary, I got the chance to know a family from Africa. And uh, throughout the semester, uh, Megan, my wife, and I had gotten to know this family. And eventually we ended up uh, having dinner with them. And as we sat down with them, we asked, how has your experience coming to America been? What has it been like for you? And they shared that where they were from in Zimbabwe, it's much more of a communal culture. So they leave their doors open during the day so that people can come in and out of their homes. They take care of each other's kids. If, if, they, if somebody had a recipe that required an egg, say, they wouldn't go to the corner store. They would go to their neighbor's house and ask them for that egg. So when they came to America, they came uh, with, with just barely the, the coats on their backs because they came on scholarship. They didn't have anything. So they arrived on campus and they came to this dorm and they were just hoping that someone would invite them to church that Sunday and give them a ride. Nobody did. Nobody invited them to church. Uh, you know, as it turns out in, in America, we don't leave our apartment doors propped open, strange as that may seem. And so they were surprised by that. They were expecting this, this kind of free exchange in a, in a, in a seminary dorm um, in a community of Christians, and they didn't find it. And so their first bit of time in America was very lonely. It was very challenging for them. And as Megan and I were, were listening to this, we were convicted ourselves and realized that we weren't as hospitable as we thought we were. We hadn't thought, even thought, to invite this family uh, who obviously didn't have anything. I think we have a lot to learn from other cultures about hospitality. And I definitely think we have a lot to learn from Jesus about hospitality and what that can mean for us. So Jesus was very concerned about hospitality, about caring for people. He was in and out of homes during his ministry. uh, And especially... Just a heads up, when you go into the Gospel of Luke, hospitality is a huge theme in the Gospel of Luke. But even where we are right now in the Gospel of Matthew, it's apparent that Jesus cares about hospitality. And so this morning, um, I'm going to look at three stories. Three stories where Jesus is, is at tables, he's in homes, or he's talking about feasts. And we're going to learn about hospitality from these three stories. Jesus' hospitality... Is first free and open. Jesus' hospitality is wastefully extravagant, and his hospitality is vulnerable. So, our first story this this morning comes from the uh, chapter twenty two, and if you're looking in your pew Bibles, it's on page eight hundred and thirty four. And I'll paraphrase what this is uh, starting in, in in verse one. We're looking at a parable of um, of a wedding feast. And the story goes like this, that there's a king who is putting a wedding feast on for his son. He's invited uh, some of his subjects to come to this wedding feast. 
And some of these guys come up with excuses not to come. And then some of them even murder his servants. So the king arbitrates justice on these murderers. And then let's see what he does after that in verse, in verse 8. Then the king said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, as we read your word, Lord, help us to digest it. Let it penetrate into our hearts so that it may change us. Lord, may we, after we read this and understand this, become better followers of you. We ask in your name. Amen. Now, the context of this parable is that Jesus is in Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jews, and he has actually told a series of parables, particularly to the, to the Pharisees that are, are there with him. And, and all these parables have pretty much the same point. And that point is, is that the Jews do not have a monopoly on the kingdom of God. And that if they do not receive Christ's invitation, then Jesus will extend it to somebody else. Particularly those who are not Jews, the Gentiles. Now we have to grasp how incredibly offensive this was to the Jews and to the Pharisees particularly. And I just want you to imagine, not that this would happen, I hope that this wouldn't happen, but if you were to imagine that Jesus were to come to Chapel Hill... And he was to say to us as a church, you guys aren't listening to me. So instead of sending my invitation to you, I'm going to extend it to Muslims and gay people and Democrats. <laughs> right? Now, if, if that shocked you, maybe you understand how the Pharisees feel or would have felt back then, right? They thought, you know, who, we are the ones who follow God, who, who obey God's law. We deserve to be in the kingdom of heaven. Not the Romans, not the Samaritans, not the Greeks. We do. We are in and they are out. But Jesus is flipping that on its head and he, he tells this parable about the kingdom of heaven. He says, I, I invited some folks to come and they rejected me. So now I'm opening the doors wide open and I'm inviting anybody. Good, bad, ugly, they're all welcome into my home. Now, obviously, there's, there's a, certainly a spiritual application to this parable. We get it, right? Jesus is welcoming everybody into his, his kingdom. Salvation is free for all. But I think once we grasp the heart of God in this parable, there's also some really amazing practical implications to this too. Because when we think about who is in or out of our own lives, who is in or out of our own homes, we begin to be challenged by the heart of God. I think where, the, where this parable challenges us is to broaden our conception of who is in and out of our lives. Who do we allow into our homes? I think too often we tend to think of our homes as castles. A home is a castle. But I think what Jesus is challenging us to do is to think of our home as a hospital or a home as a hotel, a place for rest, a place for healing, that we can invite anyone and everyone into the places that are dear to us. That is what I think Jesus is challenging us to. That's a big challenge. 
But that is the heart of God. Hospitality to welcome anyone and everyone in, even to our own homes. Hospitality is, is not just about the invitation, though. Hospitality is also about what you do with people once they come into your home. It's about the care you give. A couple of weeks ago, I had some people over into my own home. And uh, this, was, this was training for some uh, deacon and elder candidates. And uh, these people didn't really know each other before they came into my home. Some of them did. As each of them came, I would, I would welcome them at the door. Glad you're here. Take their coat. Sit them down. And then I would let them fend for themselves. Because that's just how I am. <laughs> you know, they're, they're grown adults. They can figure out how to have a conversation. That's cool. I'm, I'm more concerned about what's, you know, where are the dishes? How's the food coming? All that kind of thing. So I'd, you know, set people down and, and, uh, and, then, and then they would sit there trying to figure out how to talk to each other. And by the, you know, by the fifth or sixth person that came in, I came into the kitchen where Megan was. And she looked at me and says, what are you doing in here? Go out there and take care of your guests. They're out there and it's completely awkward. Can't you tell? Well, no, I can't tell. What's wrong with awkward? Awkward's cool. I love awkward, you know? Uh, You know, but the reality is she had a point. Megan has a lot to teach me about hospitality. And she had a point. I was valuing my comfort over the comfort of my guests. I was too okay with adequate hospitality and not really seeking to truly care for my guests. It was stingy hospitality. It wasn't extravagant hospitality, wastefully extravagant hospitality. So our next story this morning is, is from Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is in Bethany, and he encounters in a home of, of Simon the leper, he encounters a woman, starting in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now I'm guessing uh, if you showed up at someone's house and they had a a bottle of perfume and they dumped it on your head, you would probably be upset. (laughs) I would be upset. But in that day and age, it was probably a courtesy for visitors, actually, to, to get something uh, like a, a little bit of oil on their head. And the idea is that as people were traveling, uh, this would cover up the smell of their travel. It's not like they could just jump into the shower. So they had this. It was, it was a common courtesy. It was a hospitality. But what this woman did was extravagant. The Gospel of Mark repeats the story, but it adds a detail that uh, this bottle of perfume that she pours on his head was worth a year's wages. And if you were just to imagine that this isn't just the, the customary eau de cologne from Kmart that people would spritz on your head. This is a thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 bottle of Chanel number no. 5 poured on Jesus' head. Jesus said this is beautiful. 
beautiful thing about this is that this is the last days of Jesus' life. And that perfume would have stuck on him all throughout these last moments of his life. As he was in that trial, he would have smelled of this. As he was being whipped, he would have smelled of this perfume. As he was hanging on the cross, as he entered the grave, he would have smelled of this perfume. That's beautiful. And that is what extravagantly wasteful hospitality looks like. Can you imagine, wouldn't it be wonderful as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if our care, if our love for people as they come into our homes, into the places where we live, was so much, spilled over so much, that it just stuck with them. In their moments of suffering, if they remembered and understood that we cared for them and loved for them so much, like a fragrance, an aroma that just wouldn't go away, wouldn't it be wonderful as followers of Jesus, if we were known for that kind of hospitality. The hospitality of Jesus is open and free. Hospitality of Jesus is wastefully extravagant. And finally, the hospitality of Jesus is vulnerable. So there's one more story I'm going to share with you this morning, and that's still in chapter 26. And that's the story of the Last Supper. And we're all pretty familiar with this story. Jesus sits down with the disciples and he celebrates Passover with them and they eat together. Now what's really interesting to me about this is a good portion of Jesus' last hours before the cross are taken up by what is simply just a meal. And a meal is, is, a, is an interesting thing too because there's a certain kind of vulnerability that occurs during a meal. I learned this when I was dating Megan There are certain foods that you do not eat on dates. You don't eat spinach because it gets in your teeth, right? You don't eat corn on the cob because for the same reason, it gets in your teeth. You don't eat ribs because you end up wearing it on your face, right? You don't eat beans (laughs) or garlic for obvious reasons. And actually, when you think about the Last Supper, it, it includes some of these kind of elements of of awkwardness and vulnerability. If you can imagine these disciples in, in what is such a holy moment, they've got crumbs down the front of their robes. They're drinking wine and it's dribbling down their chins. They're chewing with their mouths open because Jesus just told them that one of them's going to betray them. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. A meal is, is a vulnerable thing. It's, it's not what you would think would be appropriate for such a holy moment. And for Jesus, in this last bit of his life, he could have said, you know what? You guys are a bunch of clowns. This is a really trying time for me. I just need some me time. But he didn't do that. He invited these disciples into this moment of vulnerability with him. And you know, when we take communion, when we do this together as a church, we experience this kind of vulnerability too. I know this has happened to you as, as someone who served. I've seen everything. So, you, you know, you take a piece of bread and you end up with too small of a piece. Or you take a piece of bread and you end up with too big of a piece. Or, you know, when you're dipping your bread in the, in the wine, you end up putting your fingers in that. Oh, that's gross. Or you put your, your bread in there and, and it falls off into the, into the wine and it's just floating there, right? This has happened to you, hasn't it? Or, or you're, you're, you take the communion and everything's going good. You, you dip it in there. 
And you go to put it in your mouth and it bounces off and falls on the ground. Right? That's the kind of vulnerability that we experience ourselves when we take communion. A holy moment, but fraught with the opportunity for embarrassment, for awkwardness. And that's the beauty of communion. That's the beauty of communion because, yes, it is a vulnerable moment. But in that vulnerability, the grace of God can enter in and you can experience God's grace. Even in the simple act of fumbling with Christ's body and blood, we recognize that we can pick up another piece of bread and we can still experience God's grace. Christ's hospitality is vulnerable. You know, and I think sometimes when we think about hospitality, we are afraid of that vulnerability. We are afraid to let people into our homes that they might see our messiness, that we don't have it together. Even literally, we are afraid to host people because we haven't done the dishes, because our kids' toys aren't put away. But when we do that, we miss out on an opportunity to experience God's grace, to, to extend God's grace. And don't we want to do that? Don't we want to be people who uh, give and experience a vulnerable kind of hospitality? When we celebrate communion, we uh, experience and know this kind of hospitality. You know, the thing is, when, when, um, when you think about Jesus, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He didn't have a home. So he says in his, in his word in, in Matthew, chapter 8, verse 20, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And on this earth, Jesus didn't have a home. But the reason why is because he had left his home to come into our homes, to go to the byways and the highways and extend his hospitality to us. He had left his comfort in the heart of heaven to be with us and to extend us the invitation to be with him. What a beautiful picture of hospitality that Jesus has given us. That he would say freely and openly, come to my home. That he would say, here is my love poured out for you, held back, not at all. That he would be vulnerable and allow us to be in that place with us.